Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm joined now by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe Devine. Hello. Seb and I were delighted today to be joined by Andy Townsend, uh, who's here to talk to us about the new feature-length documentary Finding Jack Charlton, uh, which is um, released transactionally, i.e. on the internet, uh, on the 23rd of November, I believe, which was yesterday when you are listening to this. Um, the first thing to say is that it's amazing, uh, and I'm not, uh, you know... It's, it's genuinely so good. amazing. It's, it's genuinely brilliant. Yeah, I watched it this exactly. morning, and then I wept for about twenty minutes. And, <laughs> and then you're I, and then I, you're, you're not an, an emotional man, really. You're not really enthusiastic about anything. I mean, you're not Alex, but you're sure. still you're. you're hey, well, you know, films. But of, to put it this way: no. it's not like a dog dies in this film, and I still cried. So yeah, it, it's, it's you know, it's just it's a wonderful film. It's a, it's a fantastic portrait of of Jack uh, or Jackie or Jack Charlton or however you'd like to refer to him uh, when he was a uh, manager of the of the island team of the Republic of Ireland um, and it you know it follows the trials and tribulations of the team um, it follows his relationships with the players obviously it followed you know in more recent years his his struggles with dementia as well uh, and of course um, Jack Charlton has passed away before the film has even been released so there's 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 that to, to contend with too but it's it's just um, it's just fucking wonderful I think uh, so this is before we even speak to Andy, but like just definitely watch it, uh, and it will be, you know, even if you even if you don't care about if you don't know anything about the history of football, you don't care about uh, Ireland, you don't know any of the players. Let's say you're you're a young person, you don't know who Andy Townsend is. Watch the film; it's amazing. Seb, do you want to say anything about this interview? Well, yeah, absolutely. Watch the film, but listen to our interview with Andy afterwards because he he talks very vividly about Jack, about his footballing memories. Uh, under him but also about the person and i think those are some of my favorite moments during the uh, both the interview and actually the film because i think it's just the most it's very loving human portrait it deals with a lot of complicated stuff very well so the troubles in ireland but also jack's relationship with his brother obviously so bobby charlton um some of those moments are very moving too i i i can't recommend it highly enough and um yeah i i really do mean that it's a fabulous documentary yeah, directed or well, co-directed by Gabriel Clark and uh, and Pete Thomas. Fantastic job, people! Everyone, well done. Uh, you know, round of applause all around for uh, participation in the film. Anyway, we've probably said uh, enough, uh, you know, glowingly about it. But uh, enjoy today's interview. Um, subscribe to the Athletic, of course. Which all of the things I said about the film also apply to that. Oh, it's good. That's nicely um, done. Thank you. Uh, you can visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, uh, where you can find the... the. I have no idea, because we're recording this very far in... Not that far, but further than normal in the future than we would be in the past. I don't know. The tenses have confused me. I don't know where I am in the world, but there'll be some kind of special offer, which will be tantalising for you to enjoy uh, by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Uh, right, anyway, uh, I will now leave you in the exceptionally cool hands and the wonderfully warm embrace of Mr. Andy Townsend. 
Andy, do you um do you remember the first time you met Jack Charlton? Yes, I do. It was um, around 1988. Uh, Norwich. We were enjoying a actually a, a, a very strong season at that time. At the we were we were actually competing for the title with Liverpool in 1988. And I was obviously aware that I of of my Irish heritage. I was aware that I could play for Ireland, and so through Tony Cascarino, he had uh, um, kind of recommended me to Big Jack, who had then sent Morris Setters and one or two to come and watch a few matches. And then he came to watch me himself at Millwall. So uh, we played Millwall in a televised game. Um, and it finished 3-2 to, uh, to us guys. Robert Fleck scored a, a last-minute cracker to win the game. And then after the game, I saw Jack and uh, he said, look, he said, um, uh, so you'd like to come and play for us? And I said, yeah. He said, well, well look, he said, abide by the rules, do as you're told. He said, and I think you'll love it. And so uh, that was literally it. It was a shake of the hands. It was no more than that at that stage. And, uh, you know, he said, and, and, and it was very, very short and sweet. And, uh, and then after that, I suppose the rest took care of itself. Do you have any, I mean, you, you say you're aware of your Irish heritage. Did you have any trepidation about, um, about playing for Ireland at that particular point in history, given the situation in the country in between Republic and Northern Ireland? Yes, I did. I did have. It would be. I'd be a liar if I said I didn't have uh, concerns. In fact, I got. I got mail from, from obviously English football supporters, that were that weren't particularly flattering. weren't the sort of stuff that you'd want to read. In fact, I remember one in particular. You know, one, you get one of those letters every now and again, and they're letters. They're like fan mail that are sent to the club. You know, and so in amongst sign this picture, sign that picture, and I said. Da, 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 thank you very much, whatever. All of a sudden you get one that's like two or three pages long and you think, aye, aye, here we go, you know. And sure enough, it's from somebody who's uh, sort of reading me the riot act, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I wouldn't say they were it was anything I was losing sleep over, but they can be a bit unsettling. The biggest trepidation I had wasn't worrying about what English supporters would say about me. It, would, it was more about wanting to make sure that I would be accepted by... Uh, by the Irish fans and, and making sure that I wouldn't be letting anybody down, wouldn't be, because you're an easy target. When you put yourself in that sort of scenario, you can be an easy target on both sides of the fence if your performances aren't good. People would obviously have just said, mercenary, just wants to play international football, wants to pick up a few quid extra, da, 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 all the usual nonsense that people trot out. So I was very conscious of that and of making sure that not only did I get in the squads, I got in the team. And when I got in the team, I wanted to make sure I played my part, you know. How do you think he dealt with, I mean, in, in the first instance, when he was appointed in 86, obviously the film does a really good job of colouring the picture in Ireland and giving both sides of the response to his appointment. There's also some footage from a pretty notorious press conference that he held on his, you know, given after his appointment. What was it about him personally that allowed him to over time become an honorary Irishman yes but also to be accepted um you know and, mm. and to to be able to get on with his job what was it about him personally that, that allowed that to happen or, or quicken the speed of that he wasn't a complicated man he wasn't a complicated person he wasn't a difficult person to understand he wasn't a difficult you know some managers you've worked I've worked with over the years you're like what's he thinking what's he doing and what's what's going what we're going to do tomorrow and who's going to be playing this weekend Never had that with Jack. None of us ever had that with Jack. You kind of only had to look at him to know he either he was either happy or he wasn't, or you know it, there was no there was no mind games or hidden agendas with him. So 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 I think 
Irish people relate to that. I think at that particular time, they'd had a good few years of missing out on the big tournaments and they felt like they, someone needed to come along and mould what was potentially a very good group of players into a team that would win. And I think Jack would have always have done that, whatever job he'd have taken on. If he'd have took on, if he'd have took on a, a job in, you know, out of Mongolia he would have very quickly took a group of players and given them a message about the way that he sees the game played and the way that it's, it's got to be under him. It's, there kind of was never any, uh, you know, very few shaded areas with Big Jack. Everything was one way or the other, you know, and you very quickly understood that. So I believe the Irish people felt like they needed somebody like that to run the team, somebody to get them over the line. And obviously with his pedigree as an international footballer, He'd been around football for an awful long time. He had a reputation of being no-nonsense and uh, very uh, indignant and adamant about what he wanted. He had that reputation as he arrived, and I think they, they very quickly saw that. One of the other themes the, the film picks up on it is this, um, this idea that, you know, after like, decades of being presented as quite primitive, like his tactical style is actually shown in a way that it probably deserves, which is there are innovative parts of it. There are bits of it which are actually very contemporary. If you look at the way that a lot of managers are playing today. Correct. But w- one of the things that fascinated me was this idea that um, he took players in 90, in 94, to a certain extent in 88, he took players from big English clubs like Liverpool or Everton, Spurs, you know, Villa, you know, you and, you and Steve Staunton were at Villa in 94. Um, and you're kind of, for want of a better expression, you're used to the ball. You're all used to being a little bit more proactive. How was it that he was able to take players who were used to that kind of superiority and say, we're going to play in not in a, a submissive way, but in mm. such a different way? So I'm thinking of someone like, for instance, John Aldridge. John Aldridge, you know, Real Sociedad, Liverpool, very right. successful at Oxford. And yet yeah. you've got someone, you're saying to someone like that, you're going to run channels for me. You're going to work harder. You're going to be less of a focal point and more of a kind of first line of defence. How was he able yeah. to do that successfully? I, th- I, th- I, you know, I think Jack didn't rule with the only fear you had from from playing with Jack Charlton wasn't wasn't really fear of uh, of him as an individual. It was the fear of not playing, and it would be and it would be quite simple, really. It would be it would be if you don't do what I want you to do, and he'd sometimes sort of during training, he, he his training was never sort of Rafa Benitez like you know two in- <laughs> two inches there two inches there stop come towards me six inches now you're in the perfect position it wasn't like that he kind of get hold of your hand jack in training sometimes he get hold of your hand and he walk you into a position not there here that's where i need you this is where i need you at this point ready to do this but it was it was seemingly quite basic but the message actually was uh, i remember my, on my debut um, we played france at, at daily mount park and he walked up the back of the bus and I was sat looking out the window and he sat next to me. And Norwich at that time, we were playing some really attractive football. We had some very technically gifted players and a, and, and a team had been sort of knitted together that was playing nice stuff. And he looked at, come up to the back of the bus, sat next to me without looking at me. He was sort of looking back down the bus. I've seen you, seen you a few times for Norwich, you know that. And yeah, I know you lot that. If you tippy-tappy about with it in the middle of the park and lose it in there with me, you'll be on the next plane home. Did you think he was trying to wind you up? And actually, when he got up and walked away, I actually sort of had a little look over my shoulder <laughs> to see if, if he was taking the mickey out of me as it was my debut or something, because I wouldn't have put that past him either. But he wasn't. The square ball in midfield 
was like, you know, Jack's, he must have, he must have, he, I think he used to wake up in the middle of the night. He must have, you know, having nightmares about that scenario because he always felt if you play a square ball across your halfway line and it gets cut out, the best players in the world will be through you very, very quickly. Once they're behind your midfield and your back four is backpedaling towards their own 18-yard box, you're in trouble. You're going to concede goals more often than not. So that kind of ball was outlawed, really. If you gave a square ball to someone that was acceptable and the guy miscontrolled it and it went under his foot, Jack wouldn't give him a rollicking. He'd give you a rollicking for giving him the ball in the first place. That was, it was that kind of mentality, you know. So, so there were a few golden rules. We could do what we like at the top third of the field. He liked you being a little bit more creative and inventive and he loved getting to the byline. Very much like Pep Guardiola does. You think about Guardiola's fullbacks, get into that byline and cutting things back across the six-yard line. Like Klopp does with Trent and particularly Robertson, getting right to the top of the field. He loved that. He absolutely loved that. And of course, he was insistent on the press. And the press had to be relentless. It had to be uh, committed. You couldn't, there was no half measures to it unless you were prepared to totally commit to that press for 90 minutes. Uh, he used to say, uh, if anyone's knackered, put your hand up and we'll make a change. And I often used to, I used to say, Jack, what happens if eight of us are knackered? You know, we may have a slight issue at some point if there's like, you turn around and there's nine of us standing there like that, you know. <laughs> and he had a great ability in, uh, and, it, and, and the flexibility, you know, just genuinely wasn't there. There wasn't flexibility to kind of say, how about we do this and how about, no, no. I was going to ask about that, actually. Uh, just going to butt in here and say, there's a, there's a moment in the film where he's described as um, learning a lot of what he knew from, from, from Don Revy. Uh, and he needed to pick what he wanted to do and then kind of doggedly stick to it forever. Uh, and it seems yeah. like there are moments in, in his story and in, in, the, in the film which maybe explore the downsides of that. I mean, we've heard a lot about the upsides, but what were the downsides, Andy? Well, the, the downsides were when we went to America in '94. I mentioned in the film about he was reluctant to change. I said it's, it's something that he wasn't particularly good at. Um, I meant that in a, in a, in a complimentary way. The fact, that, uh, the fact that this flexibility wasn't there meant that the message was loud and clear. Look, we look at Man United at the moment, we see a kind of confused sort of team, don't we? We don't, we don't really know, are they a possession-based team? Are they a counter-attacking team? What are they really? We knew what we were. We knew how we had to be. There was no... We never, I never, ever, ever walked out into the field in a green shirt and thought, I wonder what we're going to do today. I wonder how this performance is going to go today. I kind of knew what we would do. It's just whether the opposition coped with it or whether, whether they didn't really, you know. So I, I think with Jack, that message was always, was always loud and clear. The downsides in 94 were, it was very hot, unbelievably hot. Our second game was in Florida, in Orlando at 12 o'clock. Uh, Mexico, mid- Andy. Yeah. Yeah. 12 o'clock midday kickoff in Florida, you know, and it was 115 degrees in the stadium. And so the only alteration that we made at that time was the team had evolved a little bit from 90 to 94. We had an extra man in midfield. John Sheridan played with Roy Keane and myself. We had some more runners from midfield a little bit rather than two up front. And that obviously gives you a little bit more insurance at the back as well if uh, if teams are able to cope with your your physical style a lot better. So, uh, but, but they were only minor issues, but the downside for us was that he was reluctant to change. He wasn't, he wasn't comfortable with looking to, to, uh, it wouldn't have been something on his, on his uh, agenda to 
right, I'm going to, that, that worked well for, for five or six years. I'm going to change the style completely now. No chance, never, you know. So as you start to get older, that becomes a problem. And in the end, it did become a problem. When we played Holland in, the, in 96 in the, uh, in the playoff game, they, there was all the Kluiverts, the Seydorfs, the, all of those boys were, were now really flying and breaking through in the Dutch team. And there was still me and Paul and Aldo and Ray. And, and we were getting, and we couldn't provide the energy and didn't have the legs anymore to make that running game really work. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better and more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. Where did the buy-in come from? Because I, I looking back now, that the game has changed. It's you know, it's been you know nearly three decades, um, and I always always think of an Arsene Wenger quote when he talks about dealing with footballers, and it's he says it's because footballers have got richer um, and they've become almost more powerful than the managers. He said the coaching is kind of like persuasion, and one of the things that you say to camera, Joe touched on this. You know, if you when you were captain, if you knocked on his hotel room door and said Gaffer, you know, he's not going to be interested. One one of the things that also comes across is this idea like players obviously really wanted to play for him. They wanted to follow him. They there are some really I, I don't want to step on the on the film's toes and, and ruin no. some of the scenes, but there are some really touching moments, particularly after um, the Italy defeat in ninety. Mm. Where did that affection come from? Because I don't. It seems to me like that kind of thing is lost to the game. It's not accessible. You couldn't have the authoritarian approach and the affection at the same time. Anymore. Very very good very good question. It's a it's a it's a good point. Um, yeah, I think that uh, Jack had an, had an incredible personality. He had, uh, 
I've often said he could be all things in one day, you know, like spring day, you know, you can wake up to sun and have a thunderstorm and then ridiculous wind and then, and then, you know, more rain. That was kind of, Jack was like that. He could be absolutely fine in the morning. Then all of a sudden you have a face like thunder, something's flip, flip, flip the switch. And then he had the hump for a couple of hours and then gradually in the evening, he might sort of come around again. You know, he was a bit like that. So, but, but in amongst it all, in amongst it all, he had, a brilliant sense of humour. And uh, he he was, you know, he, he'd come up the back of the bus and he'd have a game of cards on the way to a game with the lads, you know. Yeah. Uh, let me say this, because he was thrifty, Big Jack, right? <laughs> Big, yeah. Uh, if that's a polite way of saying it, uh, you know, if you if you were playing for playing cards for a few quid and you happened to pinch a few quid off him, I mean, you know, I've heard him say, you're not coming next month, I ain't picking you. You know, if you lay, if you lay that card on me and don't put it on him, you're not coming next trip. You know, and he used to like, but he had a great, a great sense of humour. He did. He used to, he used to be great fun in that, in that manner. So I think that we, we took on board his um, perceived, if you like, tactical sort of deficiencies. You know, we sort of took that on board. We took that on board that other teams were doing things differently, and should we be doing that? Actually, we took that all on board. And when you put it all into the pot with Jack, you got a very likable man. You got a World Cup winner. You got someone that if you don't do it his way, he just won't play you. He just won't pick you, you know, and he won't sort of cajole you into coming around to his way of thinking. It's like, no, you don't play. He's got your shirt. Unlucky. So I think that when you put the mix in, I think it comes out with with players wanting to and respecting that it had to be done his way. And because of the likability of him, uh, players being prepared to, to give it absolute everything. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm 36 now, um, and whilst I remember fragments of Italian 90, I think the the first World Cup game that I became properly invested in was uh, your win over Italy um, at Giant Stadium. Yeah. Um, can you take us inside the dressing room? What did he? Because that, if I mean. For younger people, uh, look up that Italian team because that is a, at the time, it's kind of a galaxy of stars you were playing. Yeah. Um, an amazingly gifted football team. Um, they were. What, was, what did he tell you before? I mean, you're, you're in there, you're in the dressing room. Um, I think it's true that you actually changed your kit before kickoff. Is that true? Or is that an urban myth that you had to change your kit? 100% true. So you get to a stadium. There was a couple of funny stories on, on the day, actually, with that because... Uh, we were about half an hour from Giant Stadium. We were staying in a hotel. When we got up on the morning of the game, I, I don't know who it was. I can't remember who it was, but one of the one of the support team around, one of the staff, said, uh, "I think that the Italians have got most of the tickets in Giant Stadium, and that 
we might only have 20, 20, 30% of the tickets uh, to Irish fans. Well, whatever. Okay, you know. So as we're driving in towards Giant Stadium, we're going, and there's just, when I say coach loads, I mean like ridiculous amount and coach loads of Irish fans hanging out of the window, scarves everywhere, going mad when they saw our bus. When we got to the stadium itself, we started to look around and we all started to say, maybe it's going to be 50-50. Maybe, maybe we'll have as many as them. By the time we went out for the warm-up, when we actually walked out, I was I literally, you know, it didn't surprise me because I know what Irish fans are like. It was totally, the ground was, there was 92,000 there on the day. There must have been 80,000 Irish. There must have been. Uh, all decked out in their colours. And it was funny because as we walked out on the pitch for the warm-up, Jack came out as well and he turned to Tony Cascarino and he said, Cass, you're the only Italian in here. Right? <laughs> you know, which, was, <laughs> which, was, which was a great line, you know, and uh, again, made everybody laugh. But, uh, but no, so for an hour and a half, you're in the stadium before the game and we'd already done all our homework on Italy. We'd already done everything about them. And Arrigo Saki was kind of this, he was this uh, emerging manager now, tactically very, very, well, not emerging. He'd already been a successful manager, yeah. but he was tactically, you know, at the top of his game and was and was the man to beat in that respect. And as you meant quite rightly say, Baggio, Dino Baggio, Maldini, you know, Baresi. Conte was a substitute, I think. Conte was a sub. Yeah, Conte yeah. was a sub. Uh, he was Antonio Conte was a sub, and uh, Pau Yuka you know, Be- was probably one of the best goalkeepers in the world at that time. I'd say, yeah, Beppe, Beppe Signori, you know, players like that. Yeah. Um, you know, they had an awful lot of of, uh, of very very good players. So uh, so yeah, so we'd already kind of gone through about how we, what we we're going to do and how we were going to do it, and uh, and again, it always come down to the same. Can, Jack said, "Can they handle?" Can we inflict upon them? Can they handle what we do? And he would always say, I don't think they can. I'm telling you now, Baresi is brilliant and he's a great organiser and he loves to organise that back four. And Maldini likes to have a touch and he'll have another touch and he'll have another touch. If we get on top of these people, I'm telling you now, they'll make mistakes. He said, and I want you swarming all over them, swarming all over them from me. It must be very empowering as a player to hear that from your coach, right? It is. Because, because again, we'd had... Prior to prior to America, we'd had we'd been to Germany and won in a friendly. We'd been to Holland and won in a friendly when they had top teams with their top players. We've been we we you know my first fifty caps for Ireland. I lost four games, I think, or five matches. You know, we didn't get beat much. We didn't always win, and we weren't prolific goal scorers, but we didn't lose too too often. And um, and we'd become accustomed to making life very difficult for teams we played against, and we were. Very, very good at that. Very good at it. Um, and so, yeah, it was empowering. It, it, it really was. But uh, until we got in the tunnel, just before walking out from the game, when I'm standing at the front of the queue and Baresi's next to me, and he's in white, blue, white, and I'm in white, green, white. So he looks at me and he gives me the finger like that as he's looking at my kit. And I, Packy Bonner's behind me, and I said, are we in the wrong kit here? Are we in the right? We're not in the wrong kit, are we? We are literally just waiting for the waiting for the referees to take us out onto the field. You know, all the television channels around the world are all tuning in on this game for this moment. You know, we are standing there in the wrong kit. Charlie, our little kit man, who's in the film, little Charlie, yeah, our, yeah, our yeah, kit yeah, man, yeah, yeah, amazing character, amazing guy. Jack was standing at the back of the queue, and I turned around and I said, 
we in the wrong kit? And someone said, Charlie, we've got the wrong kit on. And little Charlie went, no, no, we haven't. And Jack screamed, Charlie, if we've got the wrong kit on, he said, oh, you know, you can imagine what he said. Sure enough, we should be in green, white, green. We've got the wrong kit on. Straight back in the dressing room, absolute carnage, everyone ripping everything off. And, you know, about six minutes later, we're back out there. All the television companies across the world with their ad breaks are going ballistic. And uh, we're late uh, taking to the field. But there you go. It wasn't, it wasn't a deliberate kind of, uh, you know, way of delaying anything or stalling or knocking them out of their stride. Far from it. We had the wrong bloody kill. So if we've got any, any younger people that are listening who have never seen that game in its entirety, then um, you can still find it on YouTube. Watch mm. it. Watch the whole performance. But also uh, watch Paul McGrath playing that mm. game. Because it's... Uh, if you, if you know about Paul McGraw, you know about his difficulties uh, in life, but also with uh, injury, and you watch his performance against some of the very best uh, Italian forwards of their generation, it's, um, it's a remarkable thing. Um, and actually, I, th- I think um, hearing Paul McGraw speak about Jack during the film is, uh, is very touching. And um, by the end of it, I mean, in, in the past, he's also he's referenced him as a, as a father figure, as someone that was, you know, understandably a, a figure of great guidance. When you heard that... Uh, I mean, you'd known that Jack was unwell. Um, when you heard that he, he had died, how did you feel? Well, I, I knew that he wasn't well. I was, we were already making the film. So we'd, for 18 months, we'd been doing some work with Jack and the family. And, we, and I knew, I went up and met, I introduced Gabriel and Pete Thomas to Jack and his son, John, initially. Uh, and I, I could tell my own father recently passed away with, with dementia. Um, so... I was well-versed on it and I knew when I saw Jack that uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't in the best of health and that he was sadly in decline. And, and, uh, and yeah, because, because he was such a giant personality and he was genuinely a big, big man. Um, and because he was, there was never a, oh, let me have a think about that with Jack, you know, because he always, if anyone asked him a question, no, or yes, or what, it, you know, there was never... There was never any messing around with him. He, he, so he had that personality of being kind of quite giant-like in his, in, his whole, in his whole way. You know, he really was a, a, a big man with a big personality. So when you see someone in their, you know, when they're about 83, 84, and they're starting to suffer with what is a, an awfully debilitating illness, it, it really did sort of hit home to me uh, how, how cruel it is, how how it can rob rob you of all of the, your characteristics and all of your traits that make you the, the person and the individual you are. It strips them all away from you. And, uh, and it, was, it was quite sad to see him like that. He didn't, he didn't really remember who I was at that time. His son, John, would keep reminding him. But, but one person he always did remember was Big Paul. I wanted to pick up on that, that point as well, because it is exceptionally moving in the film. And there's, um, there's a moment where Paul McGraw, speaking back on it now, describes, um, describes that relationship as defining his life. Uh, and it, it struck me at that point, you know, watching that, that as, as viewers and as supporters of football, we probably rarely think about the delicacies of some of those relationships. But when he describes it like that, it's, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. And um, it's, it's, it's quite an exceptional thought. So I just wanted to, to, to ask you about it um, mm. because it must've mm. been a special well, relationship. He had loyalty was one of the words Jack on Jack's notes. You'd have seen one note with loyalty on there. That was something that meant a lot to him. He wanted, he, he entrusted players with 
with uh, with playing a certain way, and and those that gave him everything, those that that, that did uh, um, loyally try to back his his way of doing things, he would absolutely reciprocate that that loyalty back. So, I think with Big Paul, I think Jack recognised that uh, that Paul had this wasn't with with Paul. This wasn't just a somebody that that had a party lifestyle and just wanted to go out and you know, have a drink and just couldn't conform to rules. You know, it was much more serious than that for, for Paul. It was, it was, a, a, a you know, a genuine, uh, a, 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 again, a, a genuine problem that he had. And, and I think Jack related to it very well. And, and again, would loyally stand by Paul and try and not only for the benefit of him and the team, get him out there playing, but I think also he was very aware of, of, of he mentions in the film about, about uh, Paul understanding that when he leaves football, a lot of these people that are there for him today will not be there for him. And, it, and he generally had concerns about that. And, uh, and so uh, without doubt, um, Jack recognised that, that Paul could have problems uh, at some point down the line and wanted to do kind of everything that he could to possibly uh, prepare him for that and help him for that. Andy, just just one more question from me. What's the memory that you treasure most of Jack, the man? I mean, he doesn't have to be football related. No. Um, gosh. I mean, that's a very that's a, that's a that's a tough question. He was such a. My 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 biggest thing with Jack was was that in order to I think in order to thrive at anything, you have to enjoy what you're doing. There's got to be a love for it. There's got to be a want to do it. There's got to be uh, a commitment from you to, to, uh, to do it, but there's got to be uh, an enjoyment around it. There's got to be something around it that makes, that makes it just that little bit different and that little bit special. And, and Jack had a fantastic ability to create an environment that you could go and tick all of those boxes. You could tick the lot with, with the, with the Irish team at that time. Um, he, he, he made you want, I didn't have to run through brick, brick walls for Jack Charlton. I, I wanted to, he didn't make me, I wanted to do it for him, you know, and so did the other guys. And uh, he had a, a fantastic natural ability to, uh, to relate to people, which again is very evident in the film um, across all strands and all walks of life. He had a great ability to connect. Uh, and, uh, and my biggest sort of thing with Jack was, was his, was his love and his, and his laughter, really, for the group of lads that he had, the fun we shared together. I probably wouldn't have one actual moment where I thought, you know, that was the one moment where I, got, where it, where it all, where I saw everything. You know, I, I, I don't think that would be the case. I think he was, he was so funny. He wasn't, he wasn't complex. He wasn't complicated. But he was what you see is what you get. And if you stepped across the line, you'd know about it pretty quickly. But I just think, I, I, I think he was everything. If I was going to be a football manager, if I was likening him to anybody today, he's got that, Klopp's got those same sort of things to me with his group of players, more than any other, more than any other manager in the Premier League. Even if you're not playing under Jurgen Klopp, I bet you like him. I bet you like him. You know, um, and Jack, that was the same, same with Jack. Not everybody loved him. I did, and, and most of the guys did. Not everyone would have done, but I think everyone would have liked him. I think they would have done. 
Oh, thanks, and it's been absolutely privileged. This and it's uh, the the film is just terrific. So um, oh, please brilliant. do, uh, yeah, pass on our regards. I most certainly will, and I really appreciate your time, guys. Lovely to talk to you.